Over the last couple of weeks or months, we've been talking about the journey. We've been taking a journey, and we're using uh, booklets that, like this that are out on the table. Uh, there are 14 parts to this one. We went through a couple of other booklets prior to this, and those booklets are designed to help people who have never encountered God or are new to Scripture to take some of the, the core things that we believe the Scripture teaches. And now, sometimes people are like, well, if you believe that, what verse do you tag to it? One of the things that I have known all of my life is sometimes people tag verses, scripture verses, on the end of an untrue statement. I mean, I've seen it. I, 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 I've read a book by the, a man by the name of Eckhart Tolle. Um, I love Eckhart Tolle's writings. They're, they're interesting, and so I read them sometimes. But I promise you, not everything he tags a scripture verse on is true. Because sometimes he takes it out of context, he uses it in a way that I, I don't know that that's what that author intended. And so we want to be careful that just because something doesn't have a scripture verse tagged to it doesn't mean it's not true. And I think that we try to take this entire book that we have, which is a collection of books that, remember, we talked about was not written to us, but it was written for us, and we try to understand it and what it's saying from beginning to end. And from that whole narrative, we draw some conclusions. And so some of the things may have Scripture verses attached, some may not. Um, this is not put out by the Assemblies of God. It's actually put out by the Southern Baptists. And um, we don't just use our stuff. I use other people's stuff if it looks good, and it's something that we want to, to be a part of. Now, we wouldn't agree with the Southern Baptists on everything. For those of you that watch the news right now, you know that there's a big push right now for what, what the role of women is in ministry. And uh, I shared yesterday on Facebook a great podcast. Um, if you don't understand or know maybe some of the other side of that story, if you've been hearing a lot that women shouldn't be involved in leadership in the church, there's a great podcast on my Facebook page you could go listen to that tells what I think is the other side of that story. So, But those books are out there and they're available. And we got all the way to part two, which is that this is all about relationships. And we talked about the relationships. We use tables at Restoration Church to signify these. And we talked about the table of intimacy, our relationship with God, the table of brotherhood, uh, our relationship with others in the body of Christ, and the table of connection, our relationship with people in the world. And we talked about those relationships, but then I kind of put a pause on where we were going. And last week we talked, or a few weeks ago, we talked about defining the relationship. Um, and I wanted to take one month to talk about our church, the history of our church, the vision of our church. We do this every year. We take one month at different times of the year just to talk about where we've been as a church body, where we're going as a church body, because some of you joined us um, ever since we left the building that we owned. Some of you have been a part of the church longer than I have. And so I want to make sure that we reconnect with the history of, of who we are, the people's shoulders that we stand on, and then really launch us into this idea of where we're going. And so during that time, we've talked about the different members of our body, the different body of believers, or whether or not I even commit to a local body of believers. I mean, can I just go to every church? Why would I commit to just one church? And I, I gave a, a reason that we at Restoration Church believe that we need connection. I don't think you can grow into full maturity without other people in your life, especially sometimes opposing voices. Now, when we hear the word opposing voices, we think Democrats and Republicans. That's not what we're talking about here, because those people don't get along at all. But in the Scripture, when you have evangelists and pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets, those are opposing voices. Not opposing voices in a negative context, but opposing in a way that drives us closer to truth. Actually, I don't know if you know this, but the male and female from Genesis chapter 1, she is the one that opposes the man. Again, not in a negative context. Don't think Elvis Presley when, you know, he sang his famous song, uh, Hard-Headed Woman, or Hard-Headed Man, soft, or Hard-Headed Woman, Soft-Hearted Man, been the cause of trouble ever since the time began, world began. Uh, don't think in that context. We need opposition, but not opposition to destroy, opposition to push towards growth. So we need one another in the body of Christ to do that. And when we just gather around ourselves people that are just like us, that say everything we say, believe everything we believe, there's not growth. 
And so we need that good opposition. And I believe God puts us in a church where we have that in the body of Christ. We also talked about how to discover God's will for our life. Um, I'll throw up a screen that's just a quick recap of that. If you missed it last week, you can go back to it. If you want to take a picture of it, you can. Um, but I went into great detail on how I think we make decisions when it, when it comes to God's will, whether it's as an individual or as a corporate body of Christ. Um, because I don't know that when we make decisions, especially as a church, um, is this God's will for our church? Man, that's a tough question to answer sometimes. Could be. It could be God's will. I mean, I think there are some clear things in the book that show us God's will. But should we buy this piece of property or that piece of property? Should we do church on this day or that day? Should we do it at this time or that time? And a lot of times people will say, well, God showed me that it's supposed to be this. I really only like to do that if I'm absolutely certain God did that. I mean, usually I say, this is what I feel like God's put in my heart. What do you think? Let's wrestle with it together as a body and make that decision. And those things are helpful in that. So over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the history of our church. We highlighted some people. We highlighted our values. At Restoration Church, we believe in reaching the lost, equipping the saints, abiding in Christ, planting churches, serving others. We changed our name from Huron First Assembly of God to Restoration Church because we believe we want to be a part of restoration. What excuse me, what God is doing in our world. We want to live the lives that God always intended for humans to live. We want to be a part of His kingdom coming, His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And sometimes that's in a practical way, like serving the poor or serving people in our community. Sometimes it's in a supernatural way, like praying for healing. And in all those ways, God's kingdom comes and His will is done. And the table for us is that point of connection. It's where we connect with God, it's where we connect with other believers, and it's where we connect with other humans. But not only did we change our name, we sold our building. And for a long time, we circled this building. We talked about this last week, and we never bought it. In fact, it doesn't look like that today, because today it's a Mexican restaurant. And I talked about the struggle I went through, like, God, what, why did we circle this building, and were we supposed to move here? And I still believe that we are where we are for a reason. Right now, we rent this place, but we also rent a downtown space in the Cornerstone Towers that we use for House of Prayer, we use for our office space, and I believe we're to have a presence in the downtown area. We believe that we're going to purchase property eventually, that we're going to use it as a community center to serve our community, to serve kids, to serve families, to serve teens, to do something, not just as a building where we worship, but something that we use to serve this community that we also use for worship. And so what does all of that look like? I don't know. I couldn't find my journal this week. I don't know if you're a journaler. I'm not a very good journaler. Um... I journal some, but not as often as I need to, um, because I, I love to look back over the history. So when I start feeling like God's not doing anything, I can look back over, oh, yes, he is. Like, I, I'm just in a funk. Um, it literally had been a year since I wrote in it. I finally found it, bottom of a drawer. May 2022 was the last one I wrote, and I promise you, it's the most depressing thing you'll ever read. Um, I'm processing John and Heather Mullen leaving. I'm processing the failure of all of the things that we've been trying to do. And I'm just like, should I even be a pastor? Is this all, like, is this all a farce? Like, it's just, blah. no wonder I didn't write for another year. But this last two weeks, I've wanted to journal. Like, literally, I have eight journal entries in the last two weeks. Because it's like, boom, boom, boom. And so sometimes it feels like God is just doing a lot, and then sometimes it feels like he's not doing anything. Uh, but here's the thing I found. God's always working. Amen. And we just don't know what he's up to. But sometimes we have to start taking steps of faith, and then he steers us in different directions. Or sometimes he's like, I don't know. I'll work with you in either way. You pick. Okay, so let's pick. So, enter, draw the circle. So we're going to spend 40 days reading one of these devotions every day, praying. I encourage you to pray walk downtown. Pray walk downtown. Don't pick any building in particular. Don't, get, don't ask me. You just pray walk. God, what should we do as a church? What do you want to put in my heart? Where do you want us to go? Like, do you even want us here? 
our trunk or treat that we've done over the last two years. 1,500 kids and 40 businesses coming to the downtown area for a trunk or treat. I would say we're doing the vision God gave us, but you know, I like to know like the whole, I, you know, I don't like these little steps. I'm like, I want to get over there. But God's like, you know, we're headed that direction. So I'm asking us to pray and uh, to be a part of that process because I believe everyone who's a part of this body is a part of this body. And so as we highlighted people from the past, I thought about, should I highlight people from the present? And I could. I mean, there are some people that do some amazing things. Some of them you see every week that do very upfront things. But there's a lot of people that are a part of this church that you wouldn't even notice. But, you know, when we make a call for like, hey, we need to go clean up limbs in our city, they're there. Whenever there's a, a need, we're like, hey, there's a family that has a financial need, they're there. Whenever there's a prayer request, I know they're praying. And so uh, when you highlight some, we tend to highlight only the visible pieces. But here's the, part, here's the thing. Every part is necessary. So every one of you listening to my voice today that's connected to Restoration Church, you're all necessary to this. And I want to challenge us still, how do I become more connected than I am? That doesn't mean I have to serve in more ministries. It just means I need to be more connected. How do I get more connected with other members of this body? How do I get more connected with the vision in this community? How do I get more connected from Sunday to Sunday? And I feel like if I highlighted things... That, that we would miss something. So here's what I want to do. I want to just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing up on Sunday morning. Thank you for ending into prayer time and worship time today because maybe someone else in this room needed it and you entering in encouraged them or strengthened them in ways you may never know. Thank you. Thank you for being crazy enough to help us sell a building <laughs> and move somewhere. I feel like Abraham, go to where I show you. <laughs> but, you know, as we've prayed and as we've discussed and as we've voted, we go with what the majority feels and we make those decisions. And thank you for staying. Those of you that disagreed with the move, you're still here. Thank you. That's what I want to say to you today because we can't do this without you. Every single person in this room is not here by accident today. You're here, and God has a part for you to play in the story of Restoration Church that is still unfolding. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm more excited about it today than I certainly was last year in May. And I, I love, I wish I could tell you stories. I can't. If you want to have coffee, we can. I just love when things intersect in only a God way. And there's just been so much of that in my life over the last couple of weeks that I'm just excited again. But today, when I circled today on the calendar, I wanted to talk about kind of all of that, bringing a recap to where we're going. And we're not done talking about it because, you know, we're going to be doing it for the next 40 days. Um, but I really wanted to talk about one thing in particular that's a part of Restoration Church. Um, it's a big part of our identity. And I probably don't talk about it often enough. And I've, I've titled my thoughts today, Ignorance Isn't Bliss. Ignorance Isn't Bliss. In fact, I'll just full disclosure tell you I've used that title before. In fact, I used a guy with a head in the sand. Maybe you remember that picture. Um, and I called it Ignorance Isn't Bliss. And this idea comes from what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And we'll get to that later. Um, but in that beginning of that, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant about the way the Holy Spirit works. We can be ignorant about the way the Holy Spirit works. Uninformed, maybe, is the word that Paul uses, or some of your translations would say. And so I want to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, and I want to start in John chapter 14. When Jesus is about to be crucified, he is meeting with his disciples for what he knows is the last time. They don't know. Um, we're pretty hard on the disciples thinking that they just never got it. Um, some of us have been in church for 60 years and we still aren't getting it. Um, so we shouldn't be too hard on them um, if, at some points. And so what he's saying to them is these final words. And he's trying to reassure them that even though he's about to leave, he's sending something better. Not better because, you know, like the Holy Spirit is better than God. The Holy Spirit is better than Jesus. No, they're one. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How are they one? I don't know. They are. But the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Whereas Jesus was outside of us, and Jesus couldn't be in Nazareth and in Capernaum at the same time. The Holy Spirit can. And so in John chapter 14, Jesus says, verse 26, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything I said to you. So that's what he's going to do. In, verse, or in chapter 15, for us, Jesus didn't say chapter 15. He just kept talking. But chapter 15 for us. But in fact, verse 7, it is best for you that I go away. Now, if you're one of the disciples of Jesus, you're not buying this. You know, do you ever, do you ever tell your kid, it's good if I go away, I'm only going to be gone. And your kid's like, ah, how can it be better? This is what they're feeling in this moment. It is not good. We need you to stay. We don't know what we're doing. Because if I don't go, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin, listen to this, is that it refuses to believe in me. The world's sin is not any issue that you think it is. It's not any type of immorality or sin or anything. It's the rejection of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus dealt with all sin. And so you can clean everyone up morality-wise, and they're still not going to be okay. It's Jesus. Don't forget that in the mid... I'm not saying I'm opposed to trying to fight for morality things. Do it. But keep in mind, you'll make moral sinners if you don't lead them to Jesus. That's the sin. The sin is not believing in Him. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. And there's so much more I want to tell you. You can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will tell you what He's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. All that belongs to the Father's mind, this is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever He receives from me. And over and over in these three chapters, Jesus is like, the Spirit's going to teach you. The Spirit's going to help you. The Spirit's going to guide you. The Spirit's going to empower you. The Spirit is going to do all of these things for you. He is going to come alongside you and guide you the same way that He guided Jesus. If you remember, when Jesus came to earth as a human being, he was baptized. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And the Holy Spirit led Jesus just like he leads us. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. This is not a new plan. This has been God's plan from the beginning. He wanted His people to be a priesthood from the beginning. He wanted His people to be people of the Spirit, even though the Spirit couldn't be in them. But the Spirit in the Old Testament would come upon them. But God prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 36, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. This has been God's plan from the beginning. We were on the trajectory. When Jesus came, he showed us how to be perfectly human. He showed us what you can do with the spirit living in you. In fact, Joel prophesies in Joel chapter 2, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Where you think there's a line, God's like, there's no line. I'm taking every line down. Every barrier. You don't think I can pour out my spirit on servants? False. You don't think I can pour it out on men and women? False. You don't think I can pour it out on children? False. I am going to put my spirit on everyone who believes in Jesus and then you're going to know what it's like to be fully human. Now I wish the day that that happened we were all fully perfect too. Because then that would make the sitting at the table of brotherhood a lot easier. 
But sometimes we do stupid stuff. Sometimes we let our flesh take over and we call it spirit. But we continue to stay together, to wrestle through some of these things together, and to grow together. Then the fulfillment of what happens in Joel, by the way, there's so many prophecies about the Spirit coming and to live inside of us. I would just say, read the Old Testament. Look up the Spirit in the Old Testament. Look up all the prophecies. It's there. Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of what is said in Joel. And we know that because at the end of Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches and he refers to Joel. But Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, by the way, Pentecost is a feast. It's the feast of harvest. It's in the Jewish calendar. It's always been a part of the Jewish cycle. It's the feast of harvest. The Holy Spirit comes to help with the harvest. Huh, it's almost like someone designed this from the beginning. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, you know? They were hiding up in that upper room because they were scared. Isn't that what we were taught in Sunday school? They were in the upper room and they didn't know what to do because Jesus was taken and they were hiding because they thought they were going to be killed. I don't think that's what they were doing. In fact, the Bible doesn't say that's what they were doing. Suddenly, A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house. Pay attention. I'll come back to that. Where they were sitting, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, that word house is the Greek word oikos. That might not mean a lot to you, but that can mean house or sanctuary or temple. Why is that significant? Because if we go back to to Luke chapter 24, put up Luke 24 before the, the pictures that I have there. Luke 24, verses 52 and 53, it says, they worshiped him, Jesus. This is Luke. Did you know Luke wrote Acts? I should have said that. Luke wrote Acts that we just read. He wrote Luke. When they worshiped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, not with great fear, they returned with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Interesting. It doesn't say they went with fear to hide in an upper room somewhere. It didn't. I went to Jerusalem a few years ago. And could you? this is a picture of the southern steps of the temple. So this is an entrance that many people would have taken to go to the temple. So the next picture is actually the old gateways where you would have entered the temple. Those have been sealed off because it's now under Muslim control. So you actually have to go a different way to get to the Temple Mount and you have to go through like searches and it's crazy to get up there. But this is where they would have gone, okay? And if you, one more picture. If you look out across this, you can see it a little bit, but all of these little stone boxes that are on the sides all the way down, those are mikvahs. Because as you come to the temple, in order to go to the temple, you have to go in a mikvah. Mikvah is a baptismal pool for the Jewish person. You go down one side, you get clean, and you come up the other side so that you don't touch the dirty people going down on the other side. Uh, It has nothing to do with sin. It has everything to do with a purification. If you're going to the temple mount, you've got to be purified. So on the day of Pentecost, where are the disciples? Well, they're in the house. I think they're on the southern steps of the temple. Because the moment the Holy Spirit gets poured out, a crowd gathers. In the upper room? Or right here? I think right here. How do you baptize 3,000 people? Whoa, look at what we have here. Lots of mikvahs. It would be very easy to baptize 3,000 people. Why is this significant? Why does it matter? Because there's a story that has been told from beginning to end. This mountain is where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. This mountain is where God met with the people at Mount Sinai and he filled the tabernacle. Then when Solomon built this temple, he filled this temple. For them to be sitting there, they're going to make the connection. Oh, we are now the temple. The Spirit's going to take up residence in us and we are the temple. We don't need buildings anymore because the Spirit has come to live in us. When they were at Mount Sinai, if you remember, 3,000 people died as a result of the golden calf incident. On the day of Pentecost, ironically, 3,000 people got saved. What a coincidence. Or not. God, from beginning to end, is telling a narrative. And he's inviting us to be a part of it. It's the narrative. I believe the Garden of Eden is a temple. 
I don't have time to go into that. Listen to past sermons. I believe God's design all the time has to, to, was to have human representatives on the earth representing Him, multiplying, filling the earth, subduing the earth, being His representatives on the earth. We screwed it up royally. Jesus came to show us how it could be done, made a way for it to be done by you and I. Oh, that's so exciting. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me because we get to be a part of it. All of us broken crazies get to be a part of this by surrendering our lives to Him. We get to be filled with the Spirit. So then we come to like Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus says, Be careful how you live. That's good advice. Don't live like fools. Even better advice. But live like those who are wise. Fools and wise just means you live according to God's word. Whatever God said, you put it into practice. That's wise. If he, you don't, why? Because he's the maker. I mean, who other than the maker would know best what to do? So we follow him. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. That will ruin your life. Amen? Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oddly, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit at 9 a.m. on the day of Pentecost, people accused them of having too much wine. You have to understand, Hebrew people loved their wine. Okay? They had a feast for the Passover that had four cups at it. So let me tell you something. Those people that think Jesus turned the water into non-alcoholic wine, mm, yeah, then how? It's a part of Jewish culture to sometimes drink. But there's still an admonition not to get drunk. That's a part of it. Okay, so I know that some people stand a little bit different when it comes to alcohol. I'm not going to tell you where to stand, but I am going to tell you, don't get drunk. It screws up your life. Amen. So be filled with the Spirit, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Notice it doesn't say by yourself. I mean, I'm not saying don't sing songs to the Lord by yourself, but among yourselves. There's this call for us to come together in the body of Christ. 4,700 times the word you is plural in this book. And you don't know how to interpret it in English as a plural, sometimes from the context, sometimes not. But know that he wants us to do this together, making music to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting about this passage is be filled with the Holy Spirit means continuously. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a Greek present tense word. There's no way other than putting the word continuously in English for us to say be filled with the Holy Spirit. That looks like past tense. That looks like you should be filled with the Spirit and once you are, praise God. No. Every single day it's a yielding to the Holy Spirit. Out of the overflow of me being filled with the Spirit, that's what other people should drink. I have nothing to offer broken people. But if I learn to be filled every day with the Holy Spirit, the overflow of the Spirit in my life will be refreshing to people around me. Remember when Tim Enloe came and talked about the way the Holy Spirit works and he used the garden hose analogy? Like, we're the hose, the Spirit is the water. If you ever drink from a garden hose that's been sitting out in the sun all day long and you've, the first sip is like, ooh, garden hose. Sometimes the ministry of the Holy Spirit tastes a whole lot like the person you're talking to. Cut them some slack. Let it flow a little bit and see if the garden hose taste goes away. Or just pick out the spiritual parts and let the garden hose lay. Like, if we wait to be perfect... We won't ever step out. And if we wait till other people are perfect to let them speak into our lives, we'll be strangers forever. This is the way that the Apostle Paul wanted it to be. Now, in the, at Restoration Church, we believe there's an experience with the Holy Spirit that we refer to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus referred to it. The, he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer. That means we ask Him. 
We don't ask anyone else. We ask Jesus to be filled with the Spirit, to be baptized in the Spirit. The way I describe it to people, it's not about getting more of the Holy Spirit. I believe the moment you put faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is us learning to yield to Him more so that we can be full or baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit. And I don't think it's a one-time game. I don't think one time you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues, praise God, you got it, you're good. I think every day of our lives, when we get in the shower, we ought to be like, God, I need to be filled with your Spirit. And I need it in a big-time way because I am going to give people the wrong piece of my mind. I am going to be cranky today. I need your Spirit. I need Him to empower me. I need Him to flow through me. You guys don't pray that in the shower? I do it all the time. And sometimes I do it in the Spirit because I'm like, I don't even know what to say today, Lord. There just aren't words. In Acts chapter 19, while Apollos is in Corinth, Paul travels through the interior regions until he reaches Ephesus. Ephesus, the one he just wrote to. On the coast where he found, he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's just an odd statement. They said, no, we haven't even heard. There's the Holy Spirit. So he says, well, what baptism did you experience? They replied, the baptism of John. Paul says, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Over and over, when we have people encountering this baptism in the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, sometimes they're already believers. These people have already believed in Jesus. So you can't believe in Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Like the Scripture's pretty clear about that. They have the Holy Spirit. But there's a new empowering, a new yielding to the Spirit that's happening here that later the Apostle Paul reminds them it wasn't just once. Be continuously filled with the Spirit so that you don't act thoughtlessly. So that you know how to live in this evil age to make the most of every opportunity. So that you know those things. You need the Holy Spirit. So we come all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been waiting to get here all morning. Here we are. Brothers and sisters, regarding your question. Did you catch this? So the Corinthian church has written to the Apostle Paul. And they've got questions about the Holy Spirit. Regarding your question about matters pertaining to the Spirit, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, full disclosure, you will not find that translation anywhere else. That is the TAB, Thomas Andrew Brantner. I don't know why. I've never been in a room full of translators before, but I don't know why it's so difficult. Many translators <laughs> translate this spiritual gifts. There is no word gifts there. It's not in the Greek. They do it to try to help us understand it. I think it makes it more confusing. These are not spiritual gifts. Literally, the word that's there is spiritual things or matters pertaining to the Spirit. So some translations get that part right. They will say, about spiritual things or about spirituality or they'll translate it in some way. But then they don't get to the other part. The word ignorant literally means just to be uninformed, to be ignorant of it. It means you've, you've never heard it or you don't understand it properly. And so rather than use one of those, I just created my own. Am I allowed to do that? I don't know. I could have put it up there in Greek and just read it to you and then I could have said it. And that's what I think it's saying in the Greek. So that's the full disclosure. I don't want to hide it. I, I just did it. I don't do that in any other verse except this one. So there you go. Of course, if I did 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, I would do that one differently too, but that's for a different day. <laughs> that's the one about women in ministry, but we won't, we won't touch that today. <laughs> so what Paul then goes on to do in three chapters is talk about everything that pertains to the Holy Spirit. 
In verses 7 through 11, he talks about manifestations. I didn't put this on the screen. You'll have to go back and look at your Bible later. But he talks about gifts of healing and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and prophetic utterances and tongues and interpretations of tongues and the distinguishing between spirits. And he lists these things, not exclusive, but the way that the Holy Spirit manifests. You don't own these gifts. These are the way the Spirit manifests. So if you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can come alongside you and say, we're going to do a gift of healing right here. You're my vessel. Okay, here we go. Here's a prophetic utterance. Here's a word of wisdom. Here's a word of knowledge. Now, I don't have time today to describe all of these and define them, but that's what he's talking about. But then over the next couple of verses, he goes into like the giftings that each of us have. The Holy Spirit empowers those. But we have those. Like some of us have the gift to teach or the gift to lead or the gift to serve or the gift to... Do. And the Holy Spirit is a part of that process too. And then he talks about apostles and teachers and prophets. And that's different than this prophecy. And then he does a whole chapter on love. And then he talks about speaking in tongues or praying in tongues as a gifting that every single one of us can use all the time. In fact, he uses more than any of them. What's he talking about in this chapter? Everything that pertains to the Holy Spirit. You see why it gets confusing when we just say spiritual gifts at the beginning of chapter 12. I think we're, we're looking for spiritual gifts. He's talking about everything that has to do with the Holy Spirit. It makes a whole lot more sense. Read it. 12, 13, and 14. With that in mind, see if it makes more sense. If not, let's have coffee and we'll talk about it. So then he comes to verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1, and this is kind of his summation chapter. Pursue love. Notice the exclamation point. He's telling the Corinthians, because what they lack more than anything is love. He's like, I don't care how many gifts of healing operate, or how many prophetic utterances, or how many mysteries and things you have. If you don't have love, nothing. Nothing. So pursue love. However, keep on eagerly seeking the things of the Spirit. That's not my translation. That's New Living. The things of the Spirit especially seek to be able to prophesy. Interesting. See, it, in the body of Christ at Restoration Church, we believe in this baptism in the Holy Spirit in the continual filling of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit operating. Sometimes they seem weird. Sometimes they don't. I don't think they should be weird. I think they should be totally natural. But as we grow and as we develop in them, sometimes they're going to be a little weird. And we don't want to weird you out. But here's my promise. We will never force you to do anything. But I will invite you to grow in your understanding of how the Holy Spirit works. Over the years... Um, I grew up in an Assembly of God church. I struggled with the baptism in the Holy Spirit for years. Some days I still have some intellectual doubts. But I keep yielding myself to the Holy Spirit. And I trust that what He's doing is genuine and real because it lines up with the experience of people in this book. And so that's why I base my theology off of it. For a while, I based my theology off of my feelings. That's a bad place to base your theology off of. Because your feelings can be affected by all kinds of stuff, including bad sushi. Amen? That's a, a bad thing. But sometimes people will tell me, well, Pastor Tom, if God wants me to have it, he'll just give it to me. Praise God. He wants everyone to be saved. You still have to ask for it. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching on prayer, and he says this, I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, contrary to some preachers, that's not a blank check that if you just ask in the right faith and in the right mind and with the right words, you're going to get it. Because Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, you fathers. Oh, how precious. I didn't even realize this was Father's Day. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, because sometimes when I ask for things, my asking needs to get adjusted so that I ask better. Because I have a Father who knows if He gives me what I, what I ask for at a time I'm not ready to handle it, that'll ruin me. Or if He gives me what I ask for, He knows that's really not what I want. And if He waits and He matures me, I'll be like, oh, thank God He didn't answer that prayer. I mean, that's a country song right there. Thank God for unanswered prayers. <laughs> I don't know why songs are popping into my head today. But, so... The Holy Spirit is the response to every prayer. Mm. Because He's the teacher. Because He's the guider. Because He's the helper. He's the interpreter. Sometimes when things don't make sense, I trust Him more. I want to challenge you, like as I've challenged you over the last couple of weeks, how do we sit more at the tables of intimacy and connection and communion? How do we connect better with the body of Christ? Third question. How do, I, how do I seek to be filled continuously with the Spirit? How do I do it? How do I seek to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit? I want to recommend a resource. It's a book that's written by Max Lucado. Um, I have a picture of the book. It's called Help Is Here. And I read this um, in one day. Um, I devoured it. it was, it's an easy read. If you've ever read a Max Lucado book, he's so easy to listen to. Um, and he goes through the, the entire Bible, the Holy Spirit, Old Testament, New Testament. He's our teacher. He's our helper. He helps us glorify Christ. It's simple. It's profound. Near the end of the book, he gets into 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And I want to read a section from his book, and then I want to just pray a blessing over you, and we'll be done. So there's hope for those of you that are like, is he going to stop? I'm going to stop. But I love this story. Okay, so he says Paul enjoyed two types of prayer. He's talking about 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Praying with the Spirit and praying with the mind. Both were valuable. He prayed in tongues so frequently that he could say to a church who treasured this gift that he did so more than any of them. Yet in public worship, he would rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue. What he did not do was engage or instruct the church to engage in only one form of prayer. The apostle sought to regulate rather than denigrate the practice of a heavenly language. Let me pause and ask a question. How does this discussion of gifts strike you? Does it seem a bit, hmm, what's the word? Supernatural? It should be. It is. The church is the supernatural expression of God on the planet. He operates in ways beyond ours. Let's welcome this mysterious work of heaven in the church. Forty years of ministry has left me convinced. We do not have what it takes to heal this hurting world. We might create programs, train staff, and build wonderful sanctuaries. But I would gladly exchange them all for one raindrop from the Spirit of heaven. We need His help. One of the great tragedies of the last century has been the division of the church over the existence of spiritual gifts such as tongues and miracles. Many God-fearing Christians are convinced that these powerful gifts were discontinued when the apostles died. I know this line of reasoning well. I was among its adherents. For the first 10 years of my ministry, I taught that these more demonstrative gifts served only to launch the church. They were distributed by the apostles. Then they were discontinued when the church was established. The scriptures were written and the apostles had passed into heaven. My mind began to change in my mid-30s. He kept that a secret for a long time. I wondered... Where does a New Testament author ever say certain gifts will cease upon completion of Scripture? I found none. Indeed, Scripture urges us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts and not forbid speaking in tongues. But what about the belief that only the apostles could distribute the gifts and with their deaths the miracles were discontinued? There is no direct statement to this effect. 
we see non-apostles like Ananias blessing Saul with the Spirit. Besides, if only the apostles could give such gifts, why do we not see in the book of Acts a record of apostles traveling from church to church, laying hands on as many people as possible? What's more, we don't assume that the more mundane gifts, like administration and service, were discontinued with the passing of the apostles. Isn't it arbitrary to suppose that the gift of hospitality is still valid, but the gift of tongues is not? Paul made it clear. He expected the gifts to remain in use until the return of Jesus. You Corinthians are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most convincing of all, at least to me, Max, is the fact that the Holy Spirit chose to grace me with some of the very gifts I once discounted. He's healed people through my prayers. I've lost count of the number of parents whose infertility was reversed after I prayed for them. Apparently, I have a pregnancy ministry. I've spoken words of wisdom. Midway into a sermon, I will often sense an impression to add or emphasize a point. Sometimes that's the flesh too, by the way. I've come to expect that someone will repeat the impromptu remark and say, that really touched me. One of the most surprising gifts came to me at the age of 64, 30 years after he began to change his mind. Over a period of several months, I asked Jesus for a greater filling of his spirit. I requested that he not hold back, that he pour out on me all the gifts he ever ordained me to have. In the pre-dawn hours of a summer morning, as I sat on our veranda and prayed, I began to experience a heavenly prayer language. From deep within me, there welled a flow of utterances, staccato-like syllables. The feeling was one of delight and worship. This intimacy, I love that term, this intimacy has content, continued each morning, indeed several times each day. I can always start it, I can always stop it, but I never want to. This gift does not make me more important or special. I do not glow in the dark or levitate above trees. In fact, I've chuckled at the possibility that the Spirit helps me pray because my prayers are so scattered. I welcome His assistance. I also welcome the regular reminder, our God dwells in a supernatural realm. That's why the Holy Spirit comes. And it's as easy as sitting on your deck every day asking the Holy Spirit, asking Jesus to fill you with His Holy Spirit more and more. If you want to go to the title screen, there you go. Asking His Spirit to fill you more and more and more. For some of you, maybe today, you want to ask for us to pray with you. We'd love that opportunity. So after we dismiss the service, our prayer team will be over here. If you want prayer, if you've got questions, if you, there's things that you want us to ask, or if you want to ask us, we'd love that opportunity to pray with you now. Um, it can happen as I close in prayer in that seat right where you're sitting. No one has to lay hands on you. No one has to touch you. You can ask Jesus to baptize you with his spirit the way he did with everyone else in, in this book. And I challenge you to begin to start praying that prayer every day, just like Max. I want everything you have for me. For some of you, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit back in 19-whatever, and you can name the date, and you can remember the experience, but are you every single day praying in that language, walking in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, as you drive to work knowing that you're going to be faced with things that are going to press you to the limits, saying, you know what, Holy Spirit, I just need you to do a work today. And I pray in the Spirit on the way to work because I don't have answers. I mean, I don't have solutions, but He does. And so maybe he'll help me remember some that I've studied. Maybe he'll give me new ones that I didn't study. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's the, the prayer I want us to pray as we go through this week ahead. And so, Father, thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives. Thank you that you're always at work. You've always been at work. There's never been a time that you have walked away from this planet and stopped working. Thank you that you sent your Son to show us what you are like. He came as the exact representation of you to also show us what it's like to be fully human. Jesus, thank you for willingly giving your life, for dying, 
for being buried, for rising again, so that your spirit can now take up residence in us. Forgive us, Holy Spirit, for not taking full advantage of your help. Forgive us when we've ignored you, when we've allowed our stubborn, stony hearts to win out over the soft heart that you're trying to create within us. God, I pray for each one in this room, each one watching online today, that this week ahead, that each and every one of us would be continuously filled with your Spirit, more than we ever have before, that we would learn to yield and surrender more of ourselves to Him, to trust, to allow you to do whatever you want to do in our lives. Father, I pray that you would take all of these things that I've shared today, that you'd bring greater clarity than I could have brought today to these scriptures, to these passages, so that each one that's here today can encounter you in a fuller way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to start moving into parts three and four of that book. Um, we're going to probably finish up the journey book in October. That's the plan uh, as of right now. Uh, we're going to go a little quicker through some of the other parts, but I really felt like the month of June, we really needed to pause, um, talk about where we've been as a church, where we're headed as a church. And uh, this was a conversation that I really felt like needed to happen. Um, and I don't know why I circled this day on the calendar, but I picked Father's Day and uh, felt like that was a good day to bring that into it. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about faith promises. We've got a global partner coming next week, Ben and Carly Loper. They're actually going to lead our worship time next Sunday, and then they're going to share about the call that God has put on their lives. And they're leading us uh, this week at high school camp. They're our worship team. So pray for us. We leave tomorrow morning for high school camp. We'll be gone all week long. So if you need me this week, please send me an email. Um, cell service is very spotty in the Black Hills. And so I will be able to check email and respond to that if there's anything uh, that you'd want to ask or anything that you want me to know, any ways we can pray for you. And so thanks for being here today. Don't forget to stop by the table before you leave today. God bless you as you go. Prayer team is always available if you want us to pray with you before you go. Thanks for being here today.